Sports cars in California are getting smaller and smaller. The other day you were crossing Hollywood Boulevard and you were hit by one. You had to go to the hospital and have it removed. The dialogue, like cotton candy, whips around and when it lands it is oh so sweet. But even better are the characters. We follow the villains in this movie, giants not only in their field, but reflections of those who truly wield power. And I suppose they still do. But before we get into Sweet Smell of Success, I want to thank you for checking out the podcast. If you didn't get a chance to see the movie, I hope you do. It's excellent. But if you want to join the club now, tonight's movie, due by tomorrow morning, March 20th, is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I hope to hear from you at projectorfuel at gmail.com on your thoughts. So let's start. I love this movie because of the personalities on screen. Everyone using each other, all nosing for the truffle while rooting around in the dirt. The main force of this movie, J.J. Hunsecker, has a presence in the film long before he's on screen. But that first scene with him where he struts his influence over a senator, tearing everyone down without a blink, is maybe my favorite scene in the movie. The words exchanged are quick and clever, but vindictive, each sharper than the last. And our protagonist, certainly not a hero, Sidney, knows how to weave against these words where the senator, his mistress, and her sketchy agent can't. A perfect introduction to this vile man. Later in the movie we get more JJ, him floating his chest through everyone. It's almost like the monster in a horror movie, and at the end, when he looks into the camera, I felt fear. But what about our main man, Sidney Falco? He's cute, sure, face like ice cream, but he's just as wormy as any stooge to the main villain a cartoon could portray. Over the course of about 24 hours, he sinks deeper and deeper into the muck, and you love to see it. Using everyone to get ahead with JJ, and even using JJ when JJ's not looking. I love that moment when Sidney goes to the comedian and uses the early print of JJ's articles to con the comedian into thinking JJ can get him good press. I mean, maybe he can, but Sidney doesn't cower for a moment. He's in everyone's face, completely confident about his own scam, and it works. Every time it works, until the end. But before that, the composition and staging. That's what I was really looking out for this time, and it pays off. The words are quick, no doubt an inspiration to Aaron Sorkin, who could write a solid sequel, I'm sure. But everyone moves into particular positions so smoothly, even the camera, such that if you were watching this movie on mute, you'd still perfectly understand the power dynamic. Each shot crisp, black and white, that you might see framed in a classy restaurant. This is all thanks to the great cinematographer James Wong Howie. The camera is almost another character, moving precisely as we react to what's going on. There's a moment, again, during my favorite scene, the introduction of JJ, where the camera moves back when Sydney starts to put up a fight after JJ goes off on a very sour introduction of Sydney to the senator. I loved that. I felt it. It was magic. In The Fantastic Falco by Gary Giddens, he writes that in 1957, audiences weren't coming to see this kind of picture. They would go to see Burt Lancaster or Tony Curtis in more uplifting, positive roles. But I love the idea that there are movies out there like this one, where the main protagonist is the worst person and they get their comeuppets. Now at the end, friend of the show Garrett described the movie as having heavy uncut gem vibes, and I completely agree. As he put it, the pacing, making deals on credit he couldn't guarantee, and New York as a character shares a lot of similarities with this movie. Shot beautifully again by James Wong Howe. I also felt a strong similarity between the endings of the two movies, and without spoiling uncut gems, both have perfectly fitting endings for their messy, mud-caked characters. Here, aside from JJ and Sydney, we followed the romance of JJ's younger sister and a local musician. Their love is innocent, pure, real. But JJ doesn't like it, and Sydney is trying to end it. It's the plot of the movie. And the villains almost win. But in the end, Sydney gets beaten and arrested, and the creepy sister loving JJ loses what he cherishes most. For a moment, it almost 
doesn't happen. But the two main men get so lost in their egos that they force each other to blow up, resulting in both of their tumbles off the skyscraper. And the last image, JJ's kid's sister walking into the morning to rescue her man, hopefully to live happily ever after. A great ending. But are we feeling happy? I enjoyed the scheming and manipulation so much. Everyone in bed with everybody. And when the movie ended, I just felt it all stop and felt a little guilty for thinking all of them so cool. Thank you to Alexander McKendrick, the fantastic director who crafted this intertwining story of disdain and cruelty. Okay, so that was just me ranting about the movie that I really liked, that I, of course, picked this first film club episode the next movie is going to be a curious case of benjamin button for a while because of the pandemic i won't be able to have guests maybe i can figure out something and hopefully those discussions will go a little bit more loosely as we kind of bounce ideas off each other but for now let me know your thoughts on benjamin button and please uh feel free to write in any feedback on the show and how you're feeling about it special thanks to rihan for providing the picture in the new logo for the podcast at the work of Rihan on instagram i'll uh, uh, hopefully, see you tomorrow. <laughs>